It's called a double ender. In this case, it would be a triple ender. You record your part of the conversation, and I record mine. People, that's how they do it uh, with Skype for like real podcasts. Not that ours is a real podcast. Yours seems to be real. You've got like headphones and microphones and everything. <laughs> Dude, we're on iTunes. There you go. <laughs> and Google Podcasts. We got five star ratings. Welcome to the Dave Squared Podcast. I'm David Kramer coming to you from Northern California. And I'm Dave Blasco from Arizona. Dave and I have been fast friends since the early 1980s when we were college roommates. And we finally found a medium to share our wisdom with the world or at least our opinions. Between us, we have two engineering degrees, two master's degrees, an economics degree, over 60 years of work experience, but we've only owned two motorcycles. And we're making this podcast together to try to help each other. And hopefully you, the listener, save some money. So Mr. Kramer, what are we talking about today? So today we have a guest, a good friend of mine. You guys have known each other for a couple of years now too. uh, Dr. Richard Lafayette, who is a world-leading researcher and physician, which is naturally why we're going to talk to him about motorcycles. Of course. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for joining today. It's a great pleasure. So uh, Dave Velasco and Dave Kramer both owned motorcycles when we were young and foolish. Uh, I owned a little Honda CM450 in college. Uh, Dave owned a uh, quite nice uh, Nighthawk. What was it, a 650, Dave? I think they were seven. I was thinking about this. They're 700S. It was um, basically like the Honda 750, but with a, I think it was a little bit shorter stroke and it had a shaft drive on instead of a chain. So it was kind of an odd beast. Huh. So very practical, boring, felt fast to uh, uh, a newbie, but um, pretty straightforward motorcycles. Uh, to our listeners, don't buy these. They're dangerous. Nobody should ever have one. But uh, um, I believe, Rich, you're on your second or third ATM? So for KTM. KTM, uh, even better. The Tombs, yeah, this is my fourth one. Uh, and so I think I've started to lean in one direction after trying many different motorcycles over the years. So how many motorcycles do you think, can you count them all? Do you need to take your shoes off to count that high? No, I, I think I've only reached um, 10 motorcycles. 10? Wow. I think it's more cars than I've owned. Uh, don't exaggerate, Dave Blasco. You own more cars than that right now. <laughs> cars are good too. <laughs> so uh, you the KTM you own now is your second Super Duke, right? So the KTM I own now is my third Super Duke. Now, uh, three in a row, and and sort of one was just a replacement because it did get smashed. That doesn't sound good. Since uh, Dave and I are both alumni of Duke University, we're both jealous, I think, because that's the coolest name ever for a motorcycle. I would have to admit. <laughs> So, so do you, do you, uh, I'm, I'm fitting in the, uh, how to save money. Do you, uh, Richard primarily use this as the, your mode of transportation back and forth to work or just fun or what do you use it for? No, it is my primary mode of transportation, uh, for work. Uh, I, I live a, a whole like three miles away from work. Oh, wow. So it's sort of a choice of walking, biking, or motorcycling. Uh, and motorcycling tends to win most days because you get that sort of instant round trip, and it works out really well that way. Um, if I, I know at least several of your motorcycles you've bought 
used. You seem to be an excellent shopper. Have you bought a new motorcycle ever? I have never bought a new motorcycle. I think that new motorcycles have lots of costs associated with them. And just like cars, as soon as they go off the lot, they devalue immediately. Uh, and even if you buy a new motorcycle, you frequently don't have the option of trying it out first. So unlike cars, there's often no kind of road tests that are allowed. So you just buy it, take it home, pay all the costs and the dealership costs. And then if you're unhappy, you now own a used motorcycle. Huh. So that brings up a good point. Yeah, that, that surprised me when I first bought a motorcycle that they didn't have test drives. What, what kind of knucklehead would buy something without trying it first? But uh, I believe it's true that most, many, many motorcycle accidents happen on the way home from the showroom because people get excited even though they have no idea how to drive it. Uh, but you found, so if you own 10 motorcycles, you've sold nine so you've been on both sides of this. When somebody comes to your house and says, hey, I want to pay $7,000 for your used Ducati, you say, sure, here's the keys. Go take it for a spin. Well, so I think what you'll find is that I think the dealerships are smart. You know, motorcyclists come in all sorts of experiences, desires, and tend not to meet the most rational human beings on the face <laughs> of the earth. So if they take your five to $30,000 motorcycle out for a test spin, and they wreck it, um, even if they have insurance of some sort, uh, it's gonna be a problem. So I think that's a, a big issue for them. Some of the fancier um, dealerships do actually offer test spins, like BMW tends to do that. Some Ducati owners, um, dealers do as well. And um, Triumph does. I think Harley also typically does allow you to have test rides, but again, they do make sure you've got your M license and that you have your insurance paid and they want to see that you're experienced and ready. Well, you is a motorcycle endorsement. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think it would be very state to state, but in California, definitely there's the M1 endorsement that you need to have to show you past a a test where you go around in little tiny circles at like three miles an hour and show you master the weighting of the motorcycle. But that's about it. They don't usually let you go out in the street because no motorcycle examiner wants to get on the back of your bike. Because <laughs> as we both know, we all know, uh, Tom Petty told us the weighting is the hardest part. That's true. Um, I, I, think this, I think it was even more rare back in the days, like the Harley dealerships used to advertise once in a while when uh, they'd have a special and get, let you test drive them. But around 2010, 2011, the uh, motorcycle sales went through the floor with the economy and they started allowing anybody with, a, with an M license to, uh, to do a test ride. Yeah. And, and now, you know, just to get back to the question you actually asked, and yes. so I wanted to answer, you know, when you sort of sell your own stuff, uh, the way virtually everybody does that is like on every sales list, they say, hey, you need to be really certain that you're going to be a buyer. But in general, they make you have cash in hand. So you actually buy the bike with the seller's guarantee. He'll give you your money back if you go around the block and want the money back. So it's almost always cash in hand. And then, okay, you get your test spin. 
um, and then you come back hopefully um, to count your money again and take it back if you aren't satisfied. Interesting. I'm trying to remember. I sold my bike about 28 years ago, and I think I let the guy test drive it. But it was, I think, a transaction where we settled on the bike, like right then, right then and there, like you say. And I think sometimes it just gets a little sticky because it's very awkward to sort of say, "Hey, hand me a envelope with six thousand dollars cash." You don't know the person, so now you have to turn the trust to the other side and say, "Okay, I'm going to drive around your motorcycle, and you're not going to take a few hundred dollars out of the bag." And then the seller wants to seem like they're trusting in a nice person. So I think there is pressure sometimes at the end to say, hey, you brought money, you keep it with you, go ahead on your test spin, I trust you, let me take a picture of your license. So now that everybody's got cell phones and a way to identify you and to record who you are, I think that gives an extra measure of safety and confidence as well. Interesting. I think it's good that you're buying used bikes. We've had conversations on the on the show before about buying like a used car and how much money it saves. You do motorcycles depreciate similar to cars. Do you have some sense of that? Yeah, I, I think it's it it's very similar to cars. I would say I was going to say it's different and depending on sort of just how desirable that particular motorcycle is. So in that way, I retreated back to say it's the same. You know, so I think very standard motorcycles that not everybody's dying to have and aren't rare, like, you know, standard kind of Honda or Yamaha cruising type of bike, they depreciate pretty awfully, like 25, 30% as soon as they're off the lot. And then they start dropping by five or 10% a year. And bikes last, like cars, they can last, you know, their prime is sort of a 10 year period. And then things start going generally really bad on them unless it's a real collector and someone who's taking great care of the bike. Does uh, seasonality come into it? Do you ever uh, strategically try and buy your motorcycles in the winter? Obviously not as big a deal in California as in uh, Montana, but yeah. And I, I think that's the important point is that, yeah, everybody looks to buy motorcycles in the spring and tries to sell in the fall. <laughs> so you want to time that correctly too. Even in California, it is true because of the rain. Yeah, just because the rainy winter season's not the best time for motorcycle riding. But at the same time, it doesn't make a huge difference um, on dirt bikes. Uh, some of the seasonality makes a difference because on dirt bikes, there's a green sticker and red sticker season, such that the red stickers can't even be ridden during the sort of a long summer fire season. And so there might be a little bit more turnover for dirt bikes, especially these red sticker bikes at the end of spring also, where people are buying, are really selling them and then people want to buy them in the fall. So it's a little bit of a reverse for dirt bikes, but the seasonality is good to take advantage of. If you're buying in the winter, you'll probably get a better price, but of course sellers are aware and they may not um, decide to part with their bike unless they really need to in the winter. Tell us about when you bought your first street bike. That must have been nerve-wracking to buy a, a motorcycle used when you're not that familiar with them. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It, it was, and um, I had sort of taken a long time taking a fancy to motorcycles. I grew up in New York City, and in the congestion and heavy traffic, there was really not any interest on my part to be a motorcyclist there. I moved out to California a little more than 30 years ago. And with the beautiful hills and other people sort of showing off, it seemed like a much more fun experience to ride in California. 
So I took my California safety course and um, was able to get ready for my license. But then you need to have your own bike um, to take your license test on. So I had to go out and look for my first bike. And it was sort of daunting because when you train, it's just on a little um, cruiser style 250 mm-hmm. that uh, they lend you when you take your safety course. So I like that idea, but a 250 didn't seem like it was going to really uh, meet the needs. At that point, I lived a little further from work and needed to commute on the highway. So I needed a bigger bike. Um, and back way back when there were a lot of different styles of bike likes now. So you had to make that first choice, what kind of bike sort of fit your personality and seemed like a good starter bike. And I probably chose really poorly because mm-hmm. I was budget minded and looked for an old bike and something that seemed like a good bargain. Um, it ended up being a really pretty Honda Magna 600, which was a big pickup of power and size from my little 250 that I just learned from. Yeah. So it was sort of an interesting experience. I, I was going to say, I, I don't have a bike now. I was thinking about buying one a few years ago. Uh, Kramer, you may re- remember this. I handed my um, Prius down to my son because we needed another car and it had a blue plate and uh, had the uh, carpool plate like you guys have in California, which was a big thing for me because at that time I was driving 40 miles one way. So I was thinking about a bike just to be in the carpool lane. I'm assuming California have carpool lane, right? So helps on the commute side. Do you get any... Um, where you work now, do you get to park up in, in front? That was another benefit of having a motorcycle. So, so sadly, where, where I work, uh, there's, there's this huge emphasis not to drive to work. Uh, and they're sort of paying the city to, to allow them to keep expanding the workplace. Uh, this is Stanford University. Uh, but the city keeps telling them you can expand if you have less cars and less vehicles and motorcycles still count in the vehicle count. Hmm. So parking gets more and more expensive and motorcycles have to have paid parking as well and not necessarily the best spots. Does it cost the same as a car to park a bike? No, no, they're considerably cheaper to park a bike. Um, it's about one quarter the price, which is nice. Uh, but, uh, it still feels a little bit like a slap in the face to have to pay to park at work in a big open space. Mm-hmm. Like our, our workplace is uh, coming from New York when there's no space. Uh, you can understand having to park to get a space, a pay, excuse me, to get a space. But I don't know. Out here, it always seemed that there was a vast area, and to have to pay for that is a little insulting. Gotcha. But it's one fourth the price of a car, so saving some money that way, right? Yeah, and that's really very good. But, you know, part of the love of motorcycles is the love of the outlaw mentality. So um, I think a lot of motorcyclists still try to find that little space between two other cars, that little space that's in the corner of nowhere. And um, generally, the ticket people don't come after you. Gotcha. It's interesting, the places where I've worked, all the motorcycle parking is up close to the front of the building. Now, some places where I've worked, it doesn't matter because they're reasonably small, but some of the places I've worked at were very large facilities where walking in from your car might have been a two or three minute walk sometimes and being able to park right up there in front with the motorcycles was a big, big, big plus for sure. I, I think some of the fun is just parking right on the sidewalk in front of the door. 
uh, with the motorcycle. But after a while, people get a little angry and tend to chase you away. I've seen that too. And some people get busted by work and said, hey, you can't park on the sidewalk anymore. <laughs> so, of course, in where you live, Dave, in the, the Phoenix area, if you had to wear your uh, your leathers and your helmet and walk in from the end of the parking lot and when it's 102 degrees, that would suck. Um, uh, Richard, you are a physician. I'm guessing you're all the gear all the time or are you out there in your flip-flops and uh, cut off shorts? No, I'm, I'm all the gear all the time. And I look at some of my Harley brethren and think, oh, goodness gracious, um, it's, it's not a good idea to run without gear. Uh, and, you know, spending time in the ER and the ICUs and transplant services, it's already quite high enough a risk to get life and limb uh, lost. So I think if you have protection, at least so that if you do something at relatively low speed, uh, that you don't lose all your skin and have a little protection of your ankle and your head, it's a pretty good idea. And it's not very uncomfortable to wear gear. So I'm a big proponent. Which leads me to another question. When you turned 50, didn't you feel compelled to go get a Harley? Because they won't let you ride one when you're younger than that, right? No, I don't think so. I, I don't want to be hunted down by Harley lovers. They're, they have a huge variety of motorcycles. <laughs> and young people love them. Um, and uh, I think, you know, when you get older, certainly having a cruiser style and a more comfortable sitting position and not hunching over, there's definite advantages to the to the Harley riding style, but um, I don't know. They the Harley's made some cool things: new electric bikes, um, faster bikes, faster turning bikes. So, um, being over fifty now, certainly I'm going to defend us and say we still like excitement and still like uh, some fun riding experiences. Uh, speaking in favor of buying used motorcycles, I bought a new one uh, because I was worried about maintenance and, you know, you get a flat tire or the wheel falls off on a motorcycle, you're in a bad way. So I bought a new old stock uh, Honda from the dealer and had, him, had it delivered. So I um, – and I rolled it off the pickup truck and took off to – drive it and it ran out of gas turned out they had 12 pounds of pressure in the tires and it was over a quart low on oil thank you mr professional that charged me a hundred bucks for to uh put it together because it literally was in a box they have to take it out of a box and screw it together yeah yeah i i think there's problems either way uh when you buy a bike brand new sort of like in the old days of cars there's a break-in period mm. so the the bike has not been filled with gasoline or fluid. Sometimes the dealers have to set that up. It's the first time running. So you have to take it easy on the engine for 750 to a thousand miles. And that can be just frustrating in its own, not to really ride your motorcycle hard when you first get it. And then, like you said, you're at the whim of the dealer to be a really good setup shop and to get the bike just right. Um, now they've got responsibilities and I'm sure there's more laws saying that they're responsible for making sure that the bike leaves the shop safe and in a way that it's not going to cause accidents to a greater degree than a individual has to do that. But um, when you buy bikes used, you have to have some common sense, but you have to also have lots of trust. And then ideally, um, you don't play with the bike a lot until you get it to a dealer you trust. 
um, a mechanic that you trust, take a good look at it and make sure that it's truly roadworthy. Now, well, I've been driving for a long time, but, but when I got my license in Maryland, I taught myself how to drive, run around the block, bought the motorcycle first, and then had somebody, uh, somebody has to drive you there to, uh, to, to, you have to have a licensed driver with you, and then you drive around in a parking lot. Um, in California, they have safety courses that are very reasonably priced, uh, and they have little motorcycles that they'll loan you. A uh, little 250s are usually cruiser style, so you can put your feet flat on the on the ground uh, while you get the hang of it. Um, you should well, still have under 250 Rebel. I think was the uh, ubiquitous tra- training bike. That's what I learned on a little uh, 250 V Twin Rebel. Yeah, yeah mine, mine was quite the same. Yeah, so I was thinking about buying a motorcycle a couple of years ago. Richard uh, did his best to talk me out of it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I would say it worked. I, uh, I calmed down a little bit and said, well, I'll take the safety course and then decide. And I've been procrastinating that for a couple of years now. Um, my problem is I don't like wearing the gear. I don't like having a helmet on. I don't like wearing leathers when it's hot. I don't like being cold when it's cold. And riding a motorcycle in the rain is the wettest I've ever been. It's like mm. wetter than swimming. It sucks. Sorry. So, uh, aside from that, it's a lovely hobby. Cheapest uh, way to get in the carpool uh, lane. That's true. And in California, it's legal to split lanes, so you can really move along in traffic if you're if you're a little bit daring. Uh, well, I think I think David, the, the sort of the gear stuff um, is all about safety. You know, to carry on my my first bike story. So yeah, I graduated from my little. 250 Honda and got my 600 Honda. And then here in California, it's all about going to fire roads and really windy um, roads going up to the beach. And, and that's where you really have a beautiful view and beautiful time. But when you're a brand new newbie on a bike that you just bought um, and you're going on narrow winding lanes and cars are starting to come up behind you, you might push yourself a little harder than you want to. And you might have your first little two mile an hour accident, like um, somebody you know had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you just slide on a little side road for a few feet, and you see your leather get a little bit of road rash, and you see the chin of your helmet get a little road rash, and go, "Hey, that could have been my chin and my arm." Then you say, "Hey, there's a good idea why we're riding with a jacket and with a helmet, a full face helmet." So sometimes little tiny accidents give you good feedback to say. Hmm. If we're not for a little plastic and leather, um, things can get a lot worse in a hurry. Yes. And uh, denim jeans are great for protecting uh, cowboys and miners, but they don't do much against asphalt when you're moving even at 10 miles an hour. Yeah, for sure. And so road you rash ride, burns. You ride a full uh, leathers top and bottom, Richard? Um, so I, I had leathers and gloves and a helmet. I actually... Being a new rider, I was wearing denim, hmm. so it was slow enough that the denim did tear, but I barely got scraped on my leg because hmm. it, it was it was just sort of pulling a little far to the slide and catching a little dirt and really not knowing and just letting the bike fall over a kind of crash. So hmm. it was lucky. And after that, I, I sort of bought my, my, my ballistic kind of um, nylon pants for serious riding, and I have several sets of leathers, tops and bottoms. And, and they're great, except for, um, again, when it's Phoenix weather out here, which luckily is sort of rare July and August days, then that stuff's just 
a, a little hard to bear with. Mm. And and you're you have the good stuff that's got armor at the soft points, right? At the joints and your small your back, that kind of thing. Yeah, I I, I think that it's sort of nice to have is um, full armor on your back, your shoulders, your elbows. Uh, in my in my pants, there's there's knee and hip guards, and it's sort of the ounce of protection you don't really need because fortunately I haven't really gone down on the racetrack or gone down in the road at speed. Um, so I haven't really tested the equipment too um, well, but that's all for the better. And this gear isn't it isn't cheap, but they make uh, jeans that are reinforced by Kevlar now, and you can buy a pair of combat boots that'll protect you pretty well for I don't know fifty to a hundred dollars uh, before you while you're experimenting to see what you want to do because um, the, I don't think there's a whole lot of use uh, for you're not buying your um, your clothes used are you so i i have um i don't typically do that but there is a a, a big market for used helmets for sure for used belt boots as well for sure um you know helmets range from as cheap as 150 dollars going up to a thousand dollars easily uh boots have the same same range as that 150 to a thousand dollars and a lot of people it's like other sports will jump in and then not really pursue it or, you know, do the sort of new gear stuff where they buy it and decide it's the wrong size. So a lot of times you can find virtually unused gear uh, on the standard outlets to, to get a huge discount. So for helmets, I've only bought one new helmet in my life. Um, all my helmets have been lightly used. I think that gross grosses out some people, um, but you could. There's all sorts of cleaners and things like that. Um, some people claim they wear do rags all the time when they ride motorcycles. I don't think that's true, but um, you can sort of purify. You can even change out the innards if you are really uh, a sort of neat freak kind of person and horrified. That's no different by, by other people's hair, you know. So. Uh, I think you can save money by getting used things. And there's also a lot of sites uh, on the internet where you can get um, a, a season old or two season old gear that is new, but considerably discounted. Yeah. Some people, I think they like to get new helmets as the new graphics come out every once in a while. And just cause of the, the look or whatever. So I think you can pick up some nice deals there. For sure. Like, I've been to the uh, Skip Barber Racing School, um, which was a lot of fun, and I think it actually does make you a better, safer driver by learning how your vehicle handles at speed and in uh, unusual situations. And I know you've been to a couple of, at least a couple of motorcycle racing schools. Would you recommend that for somebody who wants to just be a, a good motorcycle rider? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's sometimes hard because I think I went to them to really experience even more speed, to get an idea of what the racers look at when they're taking tight corners, especially at speed. And it's hilarious because then when they show you little videos of you running around these high performance racetracks, you look like you're basically riding a tricycle. <laughs> so uh, it's sort of uh, very humbling. But, but at the same time, they, they do teach a lot of technique and a lot of stabilization and things that sort of keep you calm if there's a oh my god moment 
And I do really, really strongly recommend them for everybody. If they're never going to be on a racetrack again, it just makes you respect and understand the motorcycle a lot better. It makes you just understand how to um, not obey your reflexes because sometimes that's the worst trouble you can get into. And it lets you know that most motorcycles these days just have much better competence than the rider. So a lot of times when things are going bad, if you actually just let the motorcycle do its thing, it's actually going to do the right thing more than you will. So in terms of maintaining balance and going um, where you're looking. Hmm. So the motorcycle you're riding is extremely desirable amongst people who can afford them. Um, the adventure style bikes, I'll call it, that are sit pretty upright or good for men of a certain age. Do you see anything out there that would be a screaming deal? If you were just trying to get the most bike for your money, um, what, what, what do you think would be the, what to look at? Well, I, you know, again, like you said, you have to decide your, your style. Um, my style is really called naked bikes. So it's full out um, race bikes that are then changed to have upright bars so that, like you said, you don't have to uh, have a crotch rocket style. You just are upright and much more comfortable, um, has the fairings removed so you can see the engine and it looks a little bit nicer. But it's and then it's um, you know the the transmission is detuned a little bit so that you have more starting power and a little bit less up top power because you're not really going to go 180 miles an hour with it, but you want to get to 60 very fast. So these bikes are to me are really really exciting because you have all the power, you have a lot more comfort, and um, it's it's just. Um, a nice hobby bike um, gets through the little twisty hills very nicely. So, you know, getting started on those bikes, um, you can definitely do that at a bargain. Uh, as, it, as we discussed already, buying used is really the, the starting point to do that, uh, that you really have much better variety among used bikes. And then you have to make that decision because Obviously, the bikes can vary, as I said, quite a huge amount from maker to maker. And then slightly, um, the bikes can vary because a lot of the bikes have a standard um, uh, style and then sort of an S style and then a racing style, much like sport cars do. You know, it's sort of mm -hmm. the base and then upgraded and upgraded. So you have to decide what you can't live without. The more you can live without, the better bargain you're going to get the older bike that you'll um, tolerate with the more miles on it, the better bargain you'll get. But then all those things go with greater risks of not being satisfied for performance and greater risks that the bike will be a lemon. So you have to trade off a little bit. All right. Well, that's all I wanted to hear. I think we've been going uh, about as long as we uh, usually like to go. Uh, this is very informative. Um, uh, I will maintain if uh, my wife asks that you told me not to buy a motorcycle. <laughs> that, that well, I always tell people not to buy it because I don't really want them coming back, uh, especially the wives and families saying like, oh, they were emulating you and you told them to do it and they drove off a bridge. So uh -huh. <laughs> I, I love having peers. I love having people to go ride with. 
but it can never be my advice to say, yeah, you should definitely do that. <laughs> so that's right, sure. listeners. No, yeah. we're not advising nobody listening should buy a motorcycle. This is just a th theoretical conversation. So thanks, <laughs> yeah. Richard, for joining us today. I enjoyed it. All right. Yeah. Great pleasure. Awesome. Nice, Thank you. Nice talking with you guys. <laughs>